Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, an author-researcher chronicles the frightening paranormal activity in western Kentucky. And she's going to her car, and she sees kids playing around the gravestones. You know, it's 8.30 or 9, and it's like, hey, you guys need to get out of there. And when these creatures, and they were creatures, they turned, their heads were sort of elongated, almost alienish looking, and the eyes were set funny. They opened their mouths, and they had these, I can't, it's hard to describe it. They were more like bone shards, but they were kind of corkscrew looking. This podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Paranormal Contractors. Maybe you have a problem and you don't feel comfortable discussing it with friends or coworkers. There's something going on in your home or business, but you can't explain. Maybe it's, dare I say, something paranormal. This is no time to be dealing with amateur ghost hunters. You need to bring in the professionals. Paranormal Contractors is a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. They use the latest technology to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Call 1-866-724-0800, 1-866-724-0800, or email them at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com. Tell them Richard sent you. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors for things that go bump in the night. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. Hey, I hope you had a chance to listen to Coast to Coast Saturday night into Sunday morning. In case you missed it, explorer Brad Olson joined me during the first half. He's just returned from his expedition to the Antarctic in search of what he calls the Illuminati Disneyland, where there is rumored to be an immense alien spacecraft, the mothership, if you will, several miles long, emerging from the melting ice. Uh, And Preston Dennett was with me in the second half to discuss the healing powers of UFOs. Uh, You may recall that Preston was with me on this podcast a few weeks back, uh, and I will be back hosting Coast to Coast AM on Friday, March 29th and Saturday, March the 30th. Uh, Steve Asher is standing by. He's the host of a great podcast, The House of Asher. He's also one heck of a writer and a paranormal researcher, and much of his research focuses on his native Western Kentucky. He's been with me in the past to discuss the hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, where he worked as a prison guard. Uh, This time around, he's here to share compelling tales of a Catholic orphanage in Western Kentucky, which includes a tale of the curse of the Black Nun, monstrous cryptoids at Slack Farm's burial mound, and shadows of children long dead who remain forever locked into a hell from which they cannot escape. Steve Asher is a freelance writer and artist, as well as a lover of music. 
Previously, he worked over 10 years in law enforcement and as a correctional officer. Steve is a longtime researcher of the paranormal. He has traveled worldwide, most recently to Thailand, where he and his wife adopted one of their two sons. Steve is an avid lover of the nighttime. He has said this is when he feels most truly alive, in the darkness of the night, and therefore most productive in his paranormal research and writing. He's a native of Princeton, Kentucky, and the author of Hauntings of the Western Lunatic Asylum, Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, and his latest, The Hauntings of the St. Vincent Academy. Steve Asher, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Richard, uh, better than I deserve. I appreciate you having me back on. It's been about 10 months, and you have come out with a new book, another in your series of hauntings, and this one centers around a Catholic orphanage known as St. Vincent's Academy. Tell me about where St. Vincent's is located in the great state of Kentucky. Okay, um, Kentucky, most people know the eastern side and the central side. This is in the western side of Kentucky, and it's in the upper, upper like northwest of Kentucky in an area uh, known as Union County uh, um, that bumps right up against Webster County. And it is, you know, sort of a rural area, uh, as a lot of western Kentucky is. And But this has the distinction that it was settled – in like in a town called Morganfield, which is the chair or the the seat of the county, uh, was settled I think 1812, and all the the things that started with the school and the orphanage and all that happened around I think 1820 when the sisters of uh, the Nazarene. That's right. I just want to double check my stuff. Uh, sisters of Charity of the Nazarene had come in and started setting up, up schools and things like that for. The local local people settling there and they basically had a very large influence still very big there today even though it's the the numbers have dwindled somewhat in the in the area it's probably about four thousand people it's a relatively small area now but at one time it was quite booming and one of the cutting edge educations that you could get in this area was right there in right there in uh, morganfield through the uh, through the catholic church and so and, so saint vincent started off as an academy, or was it always an orphanage? Well, it's one of these things where, again, just like, well, here in the, at least in Kentucky, any state department or any church department, as a place grows, it becomes used for something else. You know, you get a bigger gym, you get a bigger meeting hall, you get whatever you use, these other little offices, you know, become offices or storage or whatever. And that's what happened there. As more and more people, there was more of an influx, the thing went from being necessarily a school uh, off off the top then into uh, a home for wayward mothers uh, during you know like the early 20s and later uh, for orphaned children and specifically special needs uh, and and it kind of morphed into after that toward the end into what was uh, basically an adult care center and also a, a teen care center and it was known as the Higgins Learning Center and that is when we come on scene because this book has a distinction of – it. obviously it talks about a lot of history, and it talks about a lot of hauntings. But this location, we actually had the distinction of being able to set up, go through, and do a formal investigation. And and so the, the years that it operated as St. Vincent's Academy uh, were – give me a time frame here. 
Well, the, the, as of the St. Vincent's Academy, that would have been in the mid-1800s up through the early 1900s. And then it slowly became more attentive to these different things, which the St. Vincent's or the uh, Higgins Center, uh, as it was later known, opened its doors in 1970 – I think it was 1978. And then when we went through, it was in the early to mid 2000s, 10s in that area, and it had been shut down. It was getting ready to be mothballed or sold off, uh, which today it's actually a body shop. They have totally redone it. So the trappings of what it was previously and all that is completely gone. It was completely been gutted. And give me a, a, a sense of what the uh, what this building looked like when you were there in the, uh, the mid-2000s. Okay, by then, uh, they had updated a lot of it. It, it had – you know what you might think of in regards of a some sort of elementary elementary school. Um, it was definitely geared toward protecting you know the kids and making it safe. You know they had you know buzz in buzz indoors, buzz outdoors, and it was broke down into different wings. And you had boys on one side, girls on the other side, in a central long hall, and it had a common a common area where they could come watch television or play board games and things like that. And uh, a lot of these people came there as children and lived there, you know, whatever the extent of their life was, uh, basically lived, lived most of their existence at that location. So there's a lot of a lot of history just in that. And what you also got to understand, a lot of them were from local families. You know, uh, they were like, well, you know, we know these people. We're connected with the church this way. If they have to be housed somewhere, uh, it's somewhere close where we can visit them. And, and we know that we know the priests and we know the nuns and we know. The different caretakers. So it was a uh, it was an extension, you know, of, of the charitable aspect of the Christian spirit. You know, um, I don't get to I don't get very churchy, but it definitely was sort of that in motion. That you know, right. put your put your money where your mouth was. And so know? so I'm just trying to do the math in my head. So the building was is what approximately 160 170 years old. I would say yeah. I mean, you gotta understand. You know, certain parts were taken down. And uh, re, you know, redone new additions and things because, obviously, I mean, there was a time when asbestos was in everything, and or during the time when a lot of houses there was very little insulation. So, obviously, you have to go up to code, especially if you're housing people overnight, and you have them in a a living situation. The codes are going to be totally different than sure. just maybe four so so some parts a few are hours of school. So some parts are original, and then they they added on and and updated and so forth. Uh, and when did exactly. you when do we first learn about the hauntings at St. Vincent? When does it become known that there are hauntings there? Well, it's uh, it really ties into the early history of it. I mean, it. There were stories going back as far as right – well, right in the middle of the Civil War and, you know, of people being <clears> – people being hurt, hurt in war and, you know, laying on – basically just laying on body piles. Uh, they couldn't save the men. They're in the middle of war. They can't carry these men, and they were basically all but dead. And in the middle of warfare, you have to keep fighting uh, or you're going to get all your men killed, and they would be – Stories of hauntings from that. Um, there were lots of uh, different illnesses that come through the area that's tied in with death of children and things like that. Um, and then, of course, there's the Slack Farm incident, which is uh, a very, very large Native American uh, desecration of, of uh, the uh, mound, mound or the Mississippian cultures um, by white men during like the 60s and 70s. And they would go through and they'd 
basically desecrated this area. They paid supposedly to get artifacts, but they were taking skulls and you know children's bones and selling them to, on the black market. And um, even before that happened, there was talks of crypt, you know cryptoids, dogmen, bigfootish type creatures, uh, guardians, more or less, and which it amped up more so once the desecration happened. So um, there's always been a weird, um, just a strange connection with the land and a lot of mysticism there, a lot of um, just a, a lot of strange happenstances there. It was just a really odd area. And Slack Farms is in close proximity to the academy or the orphanage. Yeah, right. Well, see, like I said, everything it was probably within, I would say, less than ten miles. And understand, this was a this whole area was a compound. So it's got it also touches on that. It touches on Saint Anne's Church. All these things are like a small, like a little small town anywhere. You know, you you can get there within five minutes. So all of it was all in that same area. And it was all church controlled. So it's all part of that umbrella. Of, of the church, and and uh, so Slack Farms, the the burial mounds, uh, right. were desecrated. You say in the 1960s and 70s, and this right. this has led to uh, it. Almost sounds like the uh, the Skinwalker Ranch. This type of activity. There's cryptoids and different things being seen in the area. Is that right? Yes, and the thing was, it went so far as. Uh, like First Nations and, and other tribes got caught wind of this, and, and it went, you know, viral back in you know, obviously before internet. But they pushed for new laws because up until that time, you know, if you're tilling up a, a piece of land and you come across a, a some pottery and maybe a skull or something like that, it's a deal where um, they would just, you know, you can save it or you can grind it up and just keep going. There was no. Um, Laws in regards of, of desecration because they were like, well, if it's over two or three hundred years old, it's just it's just remnants tear through it. But it changed the laws because it went all the way to the Supreme Court to where you have to try to, uh, you know, either rehouse these bodies in some which way. If, I mean, if you've already desecrated them or tore them up, but more and more often you're not allowed to mess with it. And right, at this right. point well, now, and they, thank they God can't we use have, it for that. Right, and thank Absolutely. God we have these laws. But there seems, this is a recurring theme I've noticed. Uh, the um, the disturbance, it could be intentional or unintentional even, the disturbance of these, these uh, burial mounds, which are very prevalent up and down the Ohio Valley. Uh, the, the disturbance of these mounds, uh, perhaps the removal of certain artifacts, and then we have... Uh, you know, sightings of these of cryptoids and so forth. Tell me about some of these reportedly monstrous cryptoids that have been seen in and around uh, Slack Farms. Okay, well, uh, there was one uh, situation where there was a guy, he was going doing early morning field work, you know, prepping the, the field for sowing it. So anyway, uh, this was adjacent to the Slack Farm area because, again, they can't do any farming on it, but everything around it else, else is. So anyway... Um, it's going down to set it up, and he's running to this large machine, and it's, you know, again, prep, prepping the ground, telling me things, and kept getting the feeling that something was going on, and he started noticing movement out in the uh, periphery of the trees, and these, whatever it was was big enough to make, make the shrubbery shake pretty well. This is a country boy. He's seen deer. He's seen, you know, all these different type of animals that are natural in the woods, coyotes and whatnot. Well, um, it got to the point where... It, it really made him uncomfortable. Well, the first day it wasn't so bad, and he come back and he's doing more. And this time he made sure to have, you know, some lights and things with him so he could shine down 
into the into the line. Well, it got to the point where these things were getting braver and were actually coming up to the tree line. And uh, as it was described to me, these things were probably about eight foot tall or taller. As I said, it was kind of hard to tell if they were half crouching or not. Which if something's crouching at eight, eight foot, it's it's a giant or something. I don't I don't even know what to say on that. But obviously the guy was scared and upset. But then you started having where it was these things were trying to chase after him. And if he was not in the area, everything was fine. But as soon as he got in there and started doing stuff with the ground, they came after him. Um, there's another story where there was a guy who come out hunting, <clears throat> an old timer, and he had a, had his uh, had his dogs. And these both these animals had been, you know, very well bred and, and very well trained. Well, anyway, he went out and both the dogs started acting weird. Well, they ended up running, taking off from him. Well, and he's hollering to come back. Well, one they could hear it moan or scream, and, and it never come back. Uh, him and his friend who was out there looked for the other one, looked, looked, looked for it. Uh, they saw something large go across the tree line or the uh, hillside going up to a tree line. And then it took off. They went after it and they couldn't catch it. Well, they come back trying to find their their dogs. And they can, maybe they come back to the car. Um, they heard one whimpering. One was under the car. Uh, they had to basically drag it out from under the car. It was like had PTSD or something. Uh, they went to the back of the truck. They were going to let the hatch down on the back, you know, tail bed to put it into its little kennel, you know, that they have in the back of the car. Well, they went to do that, and there were three or four large, deep cuts in the back of the metal. And this is, I'm talking old school, you know, 70s, 80s type vehicles made of metal. And they couldn't explain it. Whatever hit it, it didn't hurt it at all because there was no blood. There was nothing on it, just these large gashes. This guy who had hunted here his whole life actually stopped hunting. Uh, the dog was no good. The dog was never would want to go out in the woods to even use the bathroom, much less anything else. Whatever it saw, it scared it enough that it shut it down. And the thing is, you know, he saw something, but he wasn't for sure the exact details of it, other than it was large, kind of a, a muddy brown, kind of a reddish brown looking fur. Very wide, fifty something, sixty inches wide, huge, just a just a monster. Oh, it sounds like and Sasquatch. That's what it? it sounds like to me too. Yeah. Sure. Um, now the other, it, the way they described it, it had more more point to its ears, a little bit sharper features. To me, that sounds more like a dog man. Right. Uh, it sounded a little bit more territorial, like Sasquatch. It didn't seem like it wanted to mess with it. Once it realized there were people, it took off. Now the dog man was a lot more aggressive. So. You know, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's what threw me because I've had books that's had talked about like a hellhound or something like that. But that kind of interaction, I've never had that before. And that's why I chose to write about the St. Vincent's Academy in Union County because there was so much different stuff going on. Right. Uh, and when you visited, did you visit Slack Farms and did you have did you have any encounters? No, like I said, I've been up by Slack Farm, uh, but like I said, it's one of these things. It is very much off limits. Um, I assume it's whoever owns it now. I, you know, I've heard different people say it's locally owned. Some people said there's a military presence in regards of who can go up there or not. I don't know. And see, again, that takes me back to that Skinwalker Ranch thing. You know, I don't know if they more or less said, yeah, this is ours now. So I don't know. And, and not no one's really willing to talk about it. Right. Well, you may, in fact, have another Skinwalker's Ranch 
or we may have on our hands. Um, and then on the uh, the property, the St. Vincent's uh, Academy proper, uh, tell me about, for example, the uh, the curse of the black nun. Well, you know, it's it's the darndest thing. Um, this is back during the time where you, you remember like the old kind of a coal oil heaters and uh, like where they would use like like a type of burning oil, you know, to to run heaters and stuff back in the old days. And this was on a second floor. And this is where the nuns would uh, reside. Well, one of the sisters was trying to it was in our, it was late at night. The machine apparently had ran out. They had a long day of doing different stuff, canning foods and things like that. Well, they had let it run low. It's it's freezing, right? So she's like, well, I'm going to have to go ahead and get this refilled. And a lot of times, just like with a generator, they say, well, let it cool a little bit. Don't pour it into a hot into a hot Jenny. So anyway, uh, her need to not freeze kind of out, outbeat the possibility of, uh, of a flash from it. Well, when that happened, the gases ignited caught part of her uh i guess i don't know the full outfit is called a habit or not but whatever the 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 full nun outfit was caught went up and she was trying to put it out the other people were trying to put it out it spilt she spilt more of the oil on her it got all over uh by the time they were able to put it out she was severely burnt and as i understand later died from the wounds um which is horrific in itself but ever since that people would start reporting seeing uh, a shadow. It wasn't so much like, um, kind of like that movie, The Nun, this is way before that. Uh, it was almost like a shadow nun, like a shadow person nun. And it was just, it was just the weirdest thing. Um, but there was a thing connected with it. And they said, if you see it, it's, it shouldn't hurt you. He said, but if it knows you are looking at it and it takes off, do not chase it. And so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll buy it. Why? He says, well, look, here's the facts. We had an electrician. I had to be careful not to say names. We had an electrician, and I believe it was another teacher or an aide later on, like in the 90s or something, who, in fact, went after them to, in two separate occasions, and both individuals passed from just bizarre circumstances within six months of the encounter. Um, I don't I – don't, I don't know what to do with that. You know, um, we were there. We had did get a lot of shadows um, up in the room, which the, the area is still cons- is still like a furnace room and a heater, but it's upgraded. Um, it definitely has a very strange feel to it. I didn't see anything, and I'm certainly not chasing after anything. But, <laughs> I guess not. And what was what was the uh, the the year of this horrible tragedy in which the uh, the nun basically uh, uh, set herself on fire? As I understand, it was fairly early. I would say maybe 30s or 40s. 1930s or 40s. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, the most recent sighting of the uh, the shadow of the black nun was when? Do we know? Okay. Um, and I have, to, I have to be real careful with this because the, the, the new owners are very hesitant about it. They basically want whatever history is because people come by. You know, it's, it's one of those curiosities. Um, they did say – that they had definitely had, how do you put it, activity in the shop, especially as they were trying to renovate it, uh, shadows, and the sound of like people walking up and down stairs where there weren't stairs anymore. Hmm. 
because they had basically gutted everything and took out most of the upper floor to make into a large, like almost like a barn type area for pulling, you know, diesel trucks and things in. Right. So, but that's as much as they wanted me to say about it, you know, uh, but that's that's uh, showing that there's stuff, at least at the time I spoke to them, and that's probably been close to a year back. But they definitely said yeah, the wife would not go in there by herself. And, you know, the guy kind of – you could tell he joked it off, but you could tell it, it, it was pro- causing problems and all. So I guess it's still active. Did you get the tea? Life change tea? Life change tea will do just that. It certainly changed mine. First thing after I roll out of bed, I go to the fridge and enjoy my first glass of this remarkable herbal caffeine-free tea. It's brewed, steeped, and consumed cold. It's refreshing with no bitter aftertaste. I actually crave those herbs. It's been just over a month and I've been telling you how I feel healthier, more regular, more energized than ever. I've even dropped a few pounds. Come on, why don't you join me and start experiencing the healthy benefits of Life Change Tea for yourself. Go to getthetea.com. Enter the code UNLIMITED when you purchase your first order and they'll ship it for free. Life Change Tea from GetTheTea.com. Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We have bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Steve Asher, the author of The Hauntings of St. Vincent Academy, is here. Often when we talk about orphanages and, and hospitals and asylums, there's a, there's a tragic past there. Now, I don't know if that's the case here at St. Vincent's, whether there was, or the Higgins, when it became the Higgins Learning Center, whether there was uh, abuse or tragic death or mishap. But uh, uh, have there been uh, sightings of, of, ch- of child ghosts? Yes. Well, and I'll say this, and, you know, some people, it's knee-jerk reaction. They hear something, oh, the compound, uh-oh, something's up. Right. Um, I've, I've heard only good things about it. I've heard only uh, positive things from people connected that had family in there that said that they were very much loved and very much cared for and very much respected. So uh, at least in that issue, I don't think anything like that happened. Uh, like in the other story, the, the hauntings of the Western Lunatic Asylum, you know, there was supposedly abuse and people being hung and choked and things. Uh, as I understand, they weren't treated like this, as far as I know. Right. But, okay. Uh, to the rear, I'm trying to look at the look at the uh, learning center. To the rear left, there is an area that was actually part of the area, but they rented out for people to use, uh, or they had rented it out for people to use for farming. And... During like the depression area, uh, depression era, there was a guy who had lost his wife. I, I think the woman may have died in childbirth with their second kid, so it left him and his son. His son was very very sick. I'm not sure what he had going on. I don't know if it was mumps or what. You know, something something like that. Some one of those uh, things that most people take shots for nowadays, inoculations. Anyway, he was very sick, and he was working the field. And in the middle of the field, uh, there was sort of a little well house where you can get water and whatever and get out from the sun, you know, whatever. Just sort of a, a spot to, to take a break. Anyway, he had his boy in a more or less like a little chair 
Well, the little boy, he couldn't have been more than nine or ten. And he said, here, son, sit here. here I've got your water, whatever, if you're hungry. And he was playing with his little caboose from, you know, like the old-timey trains. He said, you, you hold on to this, and I'll be back through here in about five or ten minutes. If you need anything, wave, and I'll stop, jump off and come get you. Anyway, so he would go out, probably 50 acres, come back around, loop around, check on him, wave at his son. And the boy was pretty lethargic and slept most of the time. So anyway, he was doing this, and he noticed his son wasn't there. As he got a little bit closer, he was trying to look to see if maybe the boy tried to go inside and use the bathroom. Well, unfortunately, <clears throat> he looks up just in time to see this corn silk blonde bit of hair in front of his thresher. Well, he couldn't stop in time. Oh, and dear. Well, yeah, obviously he, he was minced up and thrown over in, in the corn uh, chucker. And so he's like, jumps off, turns the machine off. Oh, my God. You know, he's trying to pull the corn out. Maybe maybe he dodged it. And first thing he sees is that little caboose. And it's all mangled. And he digs a little bit deeper. And there's the boy. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> that's horrible enough. And th- he said, though, that the boy, for the most part, again, was mangled. But his face was perfect. Uh, it had little flicks of blood on it. He said, but his eyes were very wide. And he had a smile on his face. Like a very, very serene smile. And he he couldn't understand why why the boy was out in the field. Uh, he said he hadn't seen his seen his son smile like that since he had seen his mom. Because his mom could always make him smile when he, when he was sick. And that's where the legend of that the woman was calling him home. Either the boy was sicker than he was or something pretending to be his mother. Ah, back into him. Right. So, and uh, people still say they hear you know, the sound of machinery and they'll hear like, like a boy, a boy calling out for his mom. And I mean, <clears throat> not all these stories are rosy, you know, these no. are sort of some of the stories that really bother me. And, um, honestly, like I said, after this book, and then I, of course I'm going to do the follow up to the penitentiary that we spoke about. I'm taking a break from ghost. Uh, it's, it's wearing on me. Uh, I love the stories. I want people to read it. I don't, please don't let me put you off, but you know, you can only write about dark stuff so much, but, um, there was one more story, and it was at the St. Anne's Church, which is very, very close to there. And there was a, a little soup kitchen there that they had, and adjacent to it was a graveyard uh, that was connected to the to, to the church. Well, just beyond the border of the church, there was a woman who would come out. She would smoke, and she kept seeing little things running around, moving around. She didn't know what it was, um, and she come back one day to – I think do inventory. Anyway, she didn't get done until it was dark and she's going to her car and she sees what looked like kids playing around the gravestones. You know, it's eight thirty or nine, you know, and it's like, Hey, you guys need to get out of there. And when these creatures and they were creatures, they turned their heads were sort of elongated, almost, uh, I don't want to say necessarily like meningitis or, or like waterhead syndrome, but it was, it was very, alienish looking and you know the the eyes were set funny and their mouths they had really full mouths and when she went up to him and says guys you really have to get out of here I, I don't, are you okay you know they opened their mouths and they had these i can't it's hard to describe it they were more like bone shards but they were kind of corkscrew looking it's it's the darndest thing where their teeth should and have I, been you mean right and it was this very weird I don't know. I don't know if I'd call them animal. I don't know any animal with like corkscrew spiral teeth. They almost look like some sort of spiny sea creature, you know, uh, 
but it was the, the, the freakiest thing. So she takes off, you know, and, and she actually ends up quitting, uh, quitting that next day. But I have no explanation for that. I asked her if there was any children maybe that had been deformed or something for whatever reason, and they were buried there. There's, there's nothing that I can be able to find in newspapers. It's just, uh, it was just a really weird story, so I included it. But and this lady's a very, you know, stringent Catholic, and um, you know, so I, I really have no reason to, to doubt her. But again, a very, very weird story. There's a chapter in uh, the book uh, called "The Breath Upon the Glass." What's that about? Oh yeah. Well, you know, it, it was very weird. Um, one of the people who helped get me into the Higgins Learning Center. Um, uh, we'll just call her Tanya because I always give people different names had told me about there was a, a graveyard very close to there again everything's very close to there because it's a small town and there had been um, there's two or three different waterways that converge right there in Morganfield on the edge of Morganfield and there had been a, a ship captain and I believe this actually was a riverboat captain it was back in the day when, when that was prevalent and he was a older guy, and uh, sorry. Well, here comes our train. Um, he was an older guy, and he uh, married a younger woman. Uh, you know, again later in life, and they seemed happy. And she contracted—I don't know if it was scarlet fever. Let's just let the uh, the old cannonball uh, Wabash cannonball roll through there. <laughs> I'm very sorry. no. It's wonderful. I love a train. I love the trains. But um, so she became deathly ill, and he um, wouldn't leave her side. Wouldn't leave her side, and she ended up passing. And he was just gutted. He, you know, never thought he'd love anybody. And obviously, it, it was just unimaginable. Well, uh, he had been a fairly wealthy guy, and he had took a, a good sum of his money and made her a very beautiful walk-in mausoleum, and had had her interned in a glass coffin and he would go and sit and just talk with her um some might see this as he'd lost his mind some people would see it as you know the ultimate act of love and can't let her go well this happened as i understand for years and one day people noticed he wasn't around and they come and got uh, went to check around and uh, come to find out he had something had gave him, made him have a heart attack and it looked as though the body had shifted slightly I'm not sure what maybe the body settled somewhat well that's weird enough well there wait a minute they, did they find him in the mausoleum yes he was he was laid out dead okay and okay and and uh, so the body of his bride inside the glass coffin appeared to have shifted Right. And I'm not talking like a hammer film, you know, bloody fangs, not saying that at all, but she was still in there. Well, as years went on and I'm talking up till very recently, um, the mausoleum started having issues. You know, a lot of times the tops of them can crack and get little, little small holes and stuff. Well, it became the local prove your tough spot. You have to go up there and look into the hole and talk to the glass lady. And this had happened. Uh, there was a, a 
a group of kids and they went there and of course you're going to wait to the full moon and you're going to wait till it's foggy because anything in this area sometimes it's it turns into dracula's castle around here so so anyway these kids are doing that and he ends up hearing something uh because he, the guy would always set the ship captain would always sit in a rocking chair and you can hear that noise well they started hearing something. It's, oh, it's just the wind. It's probably an urn or somewhere or, or something hanging on a, another thing. It's just it's just your imagination. It's just a tree creaking. Anyway, so this kid's pretty. He's looking in there, and he's trying to see what he can find, right, see what's going on. And he actually shines his light because there's an area probably about the size of a, about a dollar bill. It's enough you can kind of get a flashlight and still peek. And he's looking around. He sees the remnants of the broke-down rocking chair. It's still there. But as he passes over the glass it looks like you see breath and and it's like like in other words like condensation uh yes on the inside on the inside not on the outside on the inside and the story that i got was he was trying to get down and as he's shifting he starts half half to half slides from where he's at and he almost drops his flashlight, so he, grab, he grabs it and pulls himself up and looks one more time, and they swear the eyes were open. Oh, could dear Lord. Of, <clears throat> could be a play of light. And again, this is this is almost like an urban legend. But, you know, they, they had actually had showed me the where the mausoleum's at, and it, she had talked to the family. I have to be careful not to say her real name. Tanya had talked to the family and asked if it was okay if we shared the story. Just because it was such, but it was one of these things. It's obviously everybody knows the story in that area. And the and the glass the glass coffin is still inside the mausoleum. Yes, yes. And see, that's that's what I asked. I said, "Well, did the body break down because of its condensation?" They said, "No, the, the body's still intact." So, because I was thinking, well, maybe there was a hairline crack, maybe um, something. Right, maybe and if that was the that case, if there, air got in, then the body would obviously. Uh, uh, would decompose uh, but you're saying that this is like almost like uh, you know Lenin's tomb in the Soviet Union where the body because there's no air getting into the get it's been sealed the the body uh, is still intact right as, as I understood um, she looks as rosy today she was wed I think it was a term that was used to me wow what year yeah. uh, well I mean I guess whenever steamboats are very prevalent probably Mid eighteen hundreds, does any, that sound right? Yes, yes. Has anyone been inside the mausoleum since? The girl who uh, knows the family had been in there not too long ago. Because again, you're, you're constantly, you know, trying to fix and keep keep it clean and keep it in good shape. Um, they were in there, and this has probably been six months ago when I was doing my last research. Uh, as I understand, things are exactly the same. Because I asked, I said, well, with all the kind of looky-loos and people, um, did you move the body? And it, was, and it was like, well, no, this is this is where her husband wanted her. This is where – and as I understand, he's he's there inside now too. But I, he's not in a, he's not in like in a glass coffin. I think he's in, interned in the wall or maybe he maybe, may, may have even been cremated. I don't know because as I understand, as he died, he, I mean, he spent all his money just being able to – care for that and be able to go there and visit every day you're not going to be able to hold a job down as a riverboat captain sitting in a tomb every day it's a remarkable story uh one of the finest well 
I've I've well, heard it in a very story. long time. It is a love story, and it has <laughs> it, really it has is. all the elements. It has all the elements. Hauntings of the Saint Vincent Academy, and uh, Steve Asher. Where can people get a hold of uh, this book? Well, uh, if you go on Amazon and uh, look up under Stevie Asher, uh, again, you can find that book. You can also find um, The Great Mud Flood, which is a, a little conspiracy book that I just put together in ebook form, which this book, um, The uh, Hauntings of the St. Vincent's Academy, is available in Kindle and also paperback. Fantastic. Steve, great talking to you again. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back with a few words on what's on tap for episode 196 of Conspiracy Unlimited. Hi, friends. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber. $20 a month is the Whistleblower tier. And a donation of just $10 per month makes you a Truth Seeker. Star Chamber and Whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me. And all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. Since YouTube demonetized my channel, I need your support more than ever. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Coming up next, the remarkable and controversial story of Israel's most revered rabbi, his vision, his secret note, and the true identity of the Messiah. We are very, very convinced, and I've got some good information right out of Israel, that it was one of his students that understood that he had left that note in an encrypted format, and it was done on purpose. This is brilliant. This is how we know that it almost, I mean, it just had to come from the hand of God, because by leaving it in an encrypted format, and then leaving witnesses behind him who would testify to it, when the naysayers came out and said, no, this is a fake, and you know, it, and it didn't even name Messiah, but leaving it in encrypted format, his ministry officials had no problem putting it up there because it didn't list a name of a Messiah of somebody they didn't want it to be. It was just this, this office of Messiah description. So they put it up there. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>